Welcome to the Women's Football Podcast in partnership with Her Game 2, where we look at everything from the WSL to the National League and beyond. My name, as always, is Chess Warren, and joining us to review the action this week is Polly Starkey, sports broadcaster and Her Game 2 ambassador. Hello, lovely. How are you? I'm very good, thank you. It's great to be back. Glad to have you here, as always. Saturday took centre stage for the teams at the top in the WSL. Poor old Leicester. Oh, bless them. It's always a battering when Chelsea come to the King Power. And it happened again at the hands of top teams. And it was league leaders Chelsea. The Blues were five goals up by the break, thanks to Guru Wrighton, Fran Kirby, Jesse Fleming, Neve Charles and Sam Kerr. Fleming then grabbed her second and substitute Beth England headed home number seven. And Kirby grabbed her second to make it eight late on. Guru Wrighton also scored one goal and assisted four in that first half. Really, really impressive. Chelsea were pretty ruthless. They looked like it on the day. They looked incredibly cohesive and strong. And Leicester just didn't turn up or just didn't have didn't have the power to compete. What did you think about this fixture? Yeah, I mean, I think when a team like Chelsea are coming up against a team like Leicester, you know, you've got the two ends of the table it's Chelsea's opportunity to just get as many goals as possible and and really help their goal difference. I think Leicester have had an absolute shocker. Um, I mean, potentially they they could have done a bit better with Willie Kirk coming in and people think, oh, maybe there'll be a change. But same old Leicester, as we've seen all season, um, it's been shambolic. But the thing is, Chelsea are always going to turn up no matter what side they play against. And when they're playing against such a weak team, it's just an opportunity to, you know, put players in slightly different positions and switch players up and just just do what Chelsea do. And it was, I think I said at the beginning of the game, I was like, this is going to be kind of an 8-0 situation. It was 8-0. Um, but yeah, Giro Wrighton was absolutely incredible. The, the fact that in, in the first half, she got four assists and a goal. It's just, I mean, yeah, it was unbelievable. But at the same time, Chelsea are always going to do that against teams like Leicester. You say that, but they lost to Liverpool the opening game of the season. But they always lose the opening game of the season, so yeah. we kind of we kind of expect that now. But it does always seem to be against Leicester that they pull out these massive results. It was nine nil the last time they they travelled to the to the King Power. I don't know what it is about this Leicester side. It's probably that they just don't have the level of class to be able to compete. But it seems really odd that they can put up a fight against other teams, lose in the last minute, slip up in the 89th. It happens. It happens in, in football. It's it's the hope that kills you as always. But when they face this Chelsea side, they absolutely un- unequivocally fall apart, unlike how other teams do when they face Chelsea. It's not like it's never happened to any other team. Realistically, United lost 6-1 to them last at home last, last season as well. But it's like a mentality thing of they know that it's going to be long, hard and it's going to massively affect their goal difference. And they kind of they kind of lean into it. I thought something else that was interesting about the fi- this fixture, though, um, was Beth England um, coming on as a substitute. Now, Penilla Harder is injured. She's out with a long-term injury. And she's still not starting for the club. Do you think realistically for a player like that to get minutes, to be able to actually retain her place in the national team practically, because she didn't the last time because of the lack of minutes, because Serena Wiegmann put such a really like key focus on it. Do you think it's time for her to leave? Or do you think there's some players in that Chelsea squad 
that kind of aren't operating at the levels of, of the others that they're there and they're, they're kind of missing out on their own development because they're not getting those minutes. Yeah, I mean, I really feel for Bethany because, I, I mean, I think she's incredible and I think, you know, she's done really well at Chelsea, but at the same time, I think it's it's kind of her time because if she does want to get back into the England side, she's not going to find a way at Chelsea. You know, they've got too many world-class players and obviously for a team, that's not a problem, but for the individuals, that that does become an issue. And you think about, I suppose, someone like Rach Daly and the impact she's had at Villa, I think Beth England could, could have that same impact at a you know mid-table club and do really well for them and you know Serena will see her game uh, game time probably playing the full 90 minutes and then and then she could get picked up for England again because I think at the moment she's just a bit stuck at Chelsea and although it's it's a really good club and you know I'm sure she develops well in training at the end of the day that doesn't matter if she's not getting game time and I think that's the most important thing for her at the moment. Yeah, completely. Maybe the, it, there's other external reasons why she's kind of focusing staying at Chelsea. I actually thought, um, because she's spoken about how she has endometriosis and then Emma Hayes talking about how she has endometriosis. I was like, okay, well, if you have like understanding from a manager about your own personal situation, you don't know if you're going to get that other places. That kind of seems to make sense why she's like cutting down on her game time a little bit to be able to be in a place where she's kind of like fully understood. But it's got to the point now where you're, if you're missing out on international opportunities, you've got to ask yourself the question, is it actually worth it? But for Emma Hayes, this was her 300th match in charge of the Blues. What an absolutely incredible period um, that it's been for her. They've won everything apart from that coveted Champions League trophy. Do you think that's the key that they're going to be focusing on this season, Polly? I think definitely. I think, I mean, Emma Hayes, yeah, as you say, she's kind of come in and won, won everything under the sun other than Champions League. And, and you know, I know we've seen how competitive she is and how hungry she is uh, to win trophies. So she'll, she'll definitely want that. But I think the way she's, you know, brought Chelsea through the ranks and the success she's had with them is so, like, there's so much credit has to go to her as a manager. I think the way she, man like, just looks after her players, and you can even see through kind of the lack of injuries her side have had compared with other teams. She just knows how to look after players. Uh, you mentioned about Beth England. Like, she just knows how, I suppose, to see, see the player as a human rather than mm -hmm. just an elite sports person. And I think that is so key. And that, I think that's one of the main reasons that Chelsea have been so successful and one of the reasons they could go and win the Champions League. I was incredibly impressed by her um, at the Chelsea-Tottenham game in the press conference afterwards um, for two kind of key reasons. Firstly, the fact that Sam Kerr phoned her during the press conference and the kind of like joking that they had back and forward during that phone call. It shows how close she clearly is with, with the players and how she understands the players. But secondly, in her answer that she gave about Kadisha Buchanan's performance, um, and, and how that's kind of improved. Emma Hayes, again, in the documentary um, about Chelsea that was on DAZN, spoke very openly about how if she doesn't give her, she wants to give her players absolutely all the information. If if something happens in a game that they've never, they've never talked about before, or they've never been able to look over before, then that's her fault as a manager and she takes that on herself. And if they have, and things haven't been done correctly or things are right, well, then that's the, that's, that's when it's the player issue. But she spoke openly. You can talk, you can listen back, people who are listening into previous um uh, the previous episode. Um 
And she said about how when she bought Khadija Buchanan into the side, she was playing in a position that like wasn't right. And they tried to rework things. And Buchanan just kept pushing, being like, what can I do more? What can I do more? How can I be better? And it was actually a managerial decision it took to get her to flourish in this Chelsea side. And I think that's that's kind of what's most important. But going on to another high-scoring game, Manchester United had gone top of the table earlier in the day thanks to a dominant display at Old Trafford. They scored five against Villa in a one-sided affair in front of a club record crowd in the Women's Super League of 30,196 fans. Katie Zellum lashed into the roof of the net to open the scoring for the hosts. Leah Goldson's classy finish followed that on 28 minutes before Ella Toon's sweeping cross found Alessia Russo wanting to poke home at the back post. A stunning strike from Onobadier and a late Rachel Williams tap-in capped off a dominant performance for United. Really good for United that there were five different scorers on target, isn't it? Especially when there's whispers that Russo might be heading off to Leon in January. Yeah, definitely. Just such a dominant performance by United. Um, it was my first time at Old Trafford, actually. Um, so I went up to see the game, which was which was great. Um, and yeah, they just from you know from the outset, they they seem like the stronger side. I think there were periods of probably ten or fifteen minutes in the entire game where you think, oh, you know, Villa could get a goal here. And I think in total there were like four shots on target from Villa. But um, so it was a poor poor performance from them. But um, yeah, United were incredible. And to have five different goal scorers um, by the end of the game was was amazing. And I think, the, you know, the United fans turned out and they were a crowd of 30,000. They were really, a really loud crowd. Um, and I think that the players definitely felt that. Um, I thought Kate, Katie Zellum was amazing, um, both obviously in midfield, but then also captain as well. I thought she, she, thought she was excellent. Um, but yeah, just really strong performance by United. And it shows like the depth they have in their squad. And it's quite exciting when, you know, you've got teams like United who are looking stronger than, you know, Man City, Arsenal. It's, it, you know, it makes it more competitive at the top of the table. Um, and obviously they'll be pushing for, top three um certainly wanting a Champions League spot so all very exciting but yeah great performance by them against Villa yeah and also it's it's that pushing for the performance not just riding on on a one goal lead which I think or a two goal lead which I think we saw quite a lot um where United fell down last season Mark Skinner likes to talk about standards and he said even though they were up 2-0 at half time he wasn't happy with the drive um that they were showing that kind of reflects in in the way that they played in this game and do you think that's that's kind of where that level of mentality is what's going to help them push through in the future yeah definitely I mean I noticed after the second half that they came out even stronger um and it, you know they scored within five like around five minutes after after half time and you could see you know their mentality was just well, we're not we're not going to stop here going to keep pushing we're not going to let Villa get goals and there's you know there's a reason they kept that clean sheet and I think that mentality is so important when you're wanting to be the best in the league, when you want to push for Champions League and play against some of the best teams in the world. Um, yeah, I, I just saw, it felt like watching a very different United to the one we saw play against um, Chelsea the other week. It, it was similar to the one we saw against Arsenal, where actually they were just like, we're not giving up, um, which is such a positive mentality. And the more teams you can have, you know, having that drive, the better. I was in special I was especially impressed because 
it's kind of classically known that United's defense isn't necessarily the the strongest in the world, and I was I was thinking that maybe they would fall down when you have the likes of Rachel Daly and Kenza Daly who work very well together, kind of as an attacking duo. That they it would prove tricky, but they managed to keep um, Carla Ball at bay. Um, but from Villa's point of view, do you think they're going to be disappointed with how they played in the second half and how they weren't able to kind of exploit? maybe centre-back positioning a little bit more? Um, or do you think, realistically, United just kind of outclassed them? I think a bit of both. I mean, Villa looked gutted after the game, and, and you would be if you were de- defeated 5-0. Um, I think especially when it's, when it's on such a big stage, you know, this was at Old Trafford, so many people were watching. Um, I think Villa could have done a lot more, and I think they had a lot of opportunities to do more. I think Rach Daly was good, and Frey Gregory played well, but I think they needed um, uh, either other players to come on or players to step up, um, because yeah, I, I don't think this time it was quite good enough with, you know, how good um, United were, but actually at many points Villa were quite weak. In the final game on Saturday, Arsenal were able to put just one past Everton and it was all they needed to clinch that win at Meadow Park. But onto a slightly more juicy 1-0 win though. Reading beat Tottenham 1-0 thanks to a rather rough own goal from Amy Turner in the 12th minute of the game. Is this more of a props to Reading defensively that they were able to hang on to that 1-0 lead for the majority of this fixture? Or is this just another example of really poor striker performance from Tottenham? I think Reading did really well in that game. I think they've been relatively uh, weak across across the leagues, but I think the fact that you know they managed to to push to to end up getting that own goal, I thought was really positive. And then the fact that they managed to you know defend so well to stop Tottenham scoring because you think you know that happened in the like eleventh, twelfth minute or something. So you know, Tottenham had plenty of time to fight back. And especially when it's a known goal, they're probably even more hungry to to score. So I, I think it was excellent performance by Reading. Um and I think that that I know other people have said it, but um I think that performance could be could be one of the reasons that Reading stay up this season. Realistically, the January window is opening soon. Do you think that's a standout player that this Tottenham side needs? It's funny that we were um, we were talking about Beth England before and how she maybe needs to be freed from the grasp of Chelsea. Are they, they do they just need an out and out number nine, or is there someone they can look for internally? I guess that was kind of what Drew Spence was meant to be, but it's not really gone gone to plan or yet. Who do you think? Yeah, to be fair, I think Beth England would actually do really well at Tottenham. Um, I think, yeah, they they need more star players um, to come into that side. So I, I think realistically, if you're going to look at the table and look at teams that that need strikers, I think I think Beth England's perfect for that, um, and and that will really really help Tottenham because losing to Reading like that is is just not good enough, and their standards are, are way higher than that. In regards to Reading, though, it's really great that they're contesting and proving to be like sticky points for teams higher up the table, especially after that leaky defensive 3-3 clash with Liverpool. Realistically, though, as only one team goes down at the end of the season, as you just said, they may have just saved themselves. It's December. The Who's going down should not be being decided now. It happens like apart from obviously the team that goes down 20th, but in the Premier League, you'd be like, it's chop and change in it. It happens up until absolutely the death and every single fixture counts. Do they now just have like an easy run? Do you think it makes the league less competitive that only one one team goes up and one team goes down? 
Yeah, I was thinking about this the other day because it it almost feels like well, what kind of what's the point of the rest? It's 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 you know it's who's going to win the league rather than you know who's going to who's going to get relegated because you, you look at Leicester's like run they've they've lost all their nine games and they're like minus twenty three on goal difference. It's like well they can't really come back for that and it would take a lot for a team to do far worse than that. So I think having only one team. Uh, being relegated just doesn't really work but then I think I also see it from the other side with the championship of one team coming up I think what's going to just happen is you're going to have a team coming up and then the next season they go back down and that constant kind of change I think there needs to be more shift because then it's also like then where's the competitiveness in the championship because if only one team's going up there's I mean I guess you can all fight for that one spot but realistically, at one at some point in the season, it's only going to be a competition between three teams or whatever. So I, I think it does actually kind of need to be looked at because I think, yeah, as, as you said, at this point in the season, it shouldn't be kind of determined who's safe and who's not. I've seen it suggested quite a few places, even if they did like a playoff between the second bottom of the WSL and the second top of the championship. But you're right there, like the championship's looking incredibly competitive this season and it feels like kind of a damp squib that only one team has the potential to go up. It's literally December and it does seem like unless Leicester decide to pull out a kind of Coventry United last season, last ditch attempt to get to kind of have them do the great escape, it's not really, it's not really looking positive. Um, but Liverpool also proved too much of a test for West Ham as they beat the Hammers 2-0 thanks to two first-half goals at Prenton Park. Seri Holland opened the scoring in the third minute and Stengel slotted in another in the 20th. This win gives the pool some much-needed points, but West Ham still sit above them in sixth. I would have expected West Ham to quite confidently win this one, but they look really sloppy. Do you think it was a poor performance from them or were they outclassed by Liverpool or did they just kind of not show up on the day? They might have just expected to win and then actually had to play football and then it didn't really go to plan for them. Yeah, I think maybe they went in a little bit overconfident, to be honest, because, yeah, as you say, you would expect West Ham to comfortably win. Um, but I think when you can see the goal within the first three minutes, I think maybe that should have been kind of the, the awakening they needed, but it, it clearly didn't work. Um, I thought Liverpool were really good, but at the same time, I think West Ham really helped them because West Ham were were really really poor, and they're you know West Ham can hold themselves against some of the better sides, but to lose to Liverpool is it's just it's not a good look at all. And it, yeah, I don't know. I just think I was quite shocked by that because uh, it was it was a similar scoreline to the Man City game happening at the same time. And I was like, yeah, this, this is normal for Man City. This is not normal for Liverpool, especially when they're coming up against uh, a team like West Ham. So, yeah, very poor performance by West Ham. And I, I don't think anyone would be happy with that. Liverpool, though, are about to go into a run of incredibly tough fixtures. Do you think this will have given them a bit of a boost of confidence to pick up, that they will be able to pick up some points um, from it? Because I think they're facing, like, City... United, Chelsea, like before Christmas and then after, and it's gonna it's gonna be difficult for them. But picking up this win is kind of gives some confidence behind Matt Beard, especially maybe before the January transfer window. What do you think? Yeah, I think definitely it'll get it'll give them some confidence. But I think at the same time they they still know who they're facing and they but you know they go in with the momentum of of beating West Ham very comfortably. 
and they know what works for them and what they can do. So I think it's it's important that they kind of don't get intimidated by those those big names that they'll come up against. But at the same time, that they're, they're still Liverpool, they're still coming up against these much bigger sides. Um, but yeah, as I say, they they have that confidence from the West Ham game. In the final game of the weekend, uh, City took on Brighton. The Sky Blues looked incredibly comfortable here, playing with their new look side, going 3-0 up in the first 26 minutes. I thought this was going to be another massacre, um, not unlike um, when Brighton faced Tottenham. So I'm glad it wasn't. Uh, but those first three goals were thanks to an own goal by Sari and then strikes from Blackstad and Coombs. Brighton tightened up, though, and prevented any more upsets later on in the fixture. And Lee Yumin scored against her former side in the 90th minute to dash Ellie Roebuck's hope of a clean sheet bonus. Do you think they get clean sheet bonuses in the WSL? I'm sure sure someone gets slipped to 50 quid somewhere. It's, it's not it's not quite Premier League level, but, but they're trying. What do you think of this new look City side? Because a lot of the players who were playing in this either didn't feature very heavily last year or were players that have been got in kind of over the summer, realistically, apart from Alex Greenwood. And like Laura Coombs has been there for ages, but she didn't feature that much last last season. Do you lo- do you like how they're playing? Do you like that it's different? I like it feels like there's a new team in the WSL because they it's so different to last season. I re- I'm actually really enjoying watching City. Yeah, no, I, I think it's really exciting because I remember, you know, in the summer with the fact they lost so many players, I was thinking, well, how are they going to hold their own? It's going to be an absolute disaster. And then there was their opening game against Spiller and they lost. And I thought, oh, no, this is this is the downfall of City. But um, no, I really like the way they're playing. I think it's I think it's it's nice to kind of have something different in in the WSL. And yeah, as you say, they do feel like it feels like there's a completely new side. Um, I think. In the game against Brighton, they would they would have probably been quite annoyed to to concede so late on in the game. But at the same time, it was a really good performance, and getting you know three goals past Brighton was really good. And they've got a lot of depth in that team. I think that was something I was also worried about heading into the season because of all the changes and you know how how does the team bond together and things like that. A lot of them haven't played together before, um, but yeah, I think they've been class. And um, no, it's it's again exciting to see in the league. There was lots of talk over the summer from from me included within this, from journalists and kind of all, all over people who are like interact with the WSL about that mass exodus of City players over the summer. I think especially because a lot of them were lionesses and they were they were in the spotlight too. So it kind of kind of added to that. But it does seem like Gareth Taylor has had a plan with signings and he has executed it, even with like his early signing of um Vicky Lasada last season, who although hasn't featured very heavily has been a kind of pivot point, I think, for a lot of the Spanish players kind of coming into this, um, or Spanish-speaking players coming into this city side. Do you think he's always had, there's there's always been been this plan here to kind of change it up a little bit, or do you think he's just kind of lucked out with the fact that the players he's got got in have, have been of enough quality that they've been able to cope with, with the new league? No, I mean, he's an experienced manager, so I like to think this was the plan all along, but at the same time, it could kind of just be, a coincidence and he's, he's ended up quite lucky but I, I mean I think he has made some good decisions and I think he coped very well especially the fact there was so much talk about his side potentially being a disaster um so I think actually he's come back and, and proved people wrong um but yeah at the end of the day I think it yeah he's a manager people make decisions and and it sometimes can pay off and some sometimes can be a long-term plan but 
yeah, I don't know. I think from my perspective, it seems like he, he has got a bit of luck with it, really. Elsewhere in, in, in the English leagues, in the Championship, both of the top two failed to win. It's London City Lionesses who stay top as they drew 1-1 with Southampton in what was a match of the day in the division. It looked like Sarah Ewan's goal was going to give the Lionesses all three points, but an injury time penalty from Paige Peak meant that the Saints are in fourth, but only two points off the top. Bristol City also drew this time 1-1 away at Durham. Shania Hales gave Bristol the lead on 22 minutes, but Rio Hardy equalised 10 minutes for what will feel like a missed opportunity for the Vixens. Charlton, though, are up to third after winning 1-0 over Sheffield United, whose manager Neil Redfern resigned last week. It was Lauren Brunton's goal on the 80th minute, which gave Karen Hill's side the win. Crystal Palace and Birmingham keep their outside hopes of doing something this season well and truly alive with wins. Birmingham City won 2-0 away at Blackburn thanks to Siobhan Wilson and Louise Quinn. And Palace won by a goal to nil at Lewis with Polly Duran grabbing the winner. Sunderland won a battle at the bottom as they put five away at Coventry United. Emily Scar bagging four goals for Mel Rio's side and Jessica Brown also getting in on the act. There were some um, fixtures held over for the FA Cup too. Comfortable wins for Watford, 6-0 over Crawley Wasps and also a comfortable win for London Bees. Oxford United had a thumping 13-0 win away in Cornwall at Liscard. This coming week also sees the Champions League group fixtures continue with the reverse of the fixtures from two weeks ago. So Arsenal are hosting Juventus and Lyon host Zurich in Group C on Wednesday. And also on Wednesday, Group C D sees a huge fixture between Bayern and Barcelona in Munich, while Benfica travelled to Sweden to play Rosengard. What's the standout fixture for you? Have you got any you got any shock results you're predicting, Polly? What do you think? I don't know about shock results. I think if anything was going to happen, it's and there are a lot of question marks. I think with Arsenal, obviously with their injuries. I mean, it's good to see that that Leah came back for that um for the most recent game over the weekend and potentially uh, Rafa will be back. Um, but no, I think kind of one of the big ones for me is uh, Bayern Munich against Barcelona. Um, I think that's going to be a really big game. Obviously, some of the best players in the world. Um, from an English perspective, seeing Kira Walsh and Lucy Bronze uh, face Georgia Samway, very exciting. Um, so for me, that's probably the the uh, the standout game. But then also, I think I'm excited to see uh, Leon and Zurich. I think Leon kind of have a lot to to redeem after their game against Arsenal. But um, no, I'm excited for that fixture. On Thursday, Group A sees Chelsea travel to Madrid to take on Real Madrid and PSG are away at Valencia. And Group B is a big one between Wolfsburg and Roma, with Roma surprisingly sitting top of the group as they travel to Germany. And St. Poulton hosts Slavia Prague in Austria. There's also League Cup action this weekend, so get yourself out there and down to matches. Also, just before we started recording this, Selhurst Park is where the um, final of the League Cup is going to be in Crystal Palace. Polly, you're shaking your head. What What do you think? Is it because you don't like Palace or is it because you don't like Selhurst Park? No, well, the, the issue I have is the fact that they kind of left it in suspense of where it's going to be. And as someone who lives in the Midlands, the fact that there's not a game in the Midlands or the North, I'm not very happy about it. Yeah, I think that's completely fair enough. It's very London-centric and I know it's it's not, and it's not that it has to be in London either. I think Selhurst Park, although 
I did very much enjoy going down to the Cherry Red st- Stadium, um, up the Dons, um, and head headed down to Wimbledon last year for the League Cup. I do think it did need to be in a bit of a bigger stadium now. So having it at Selhurst Park is 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 good. It's a shame it's not somewhere. I think Villa Park would be really nice to host that to host, and it works very well. It being in the Midlands, it's a very nice stadium, or or just somewhere like that. Thank, all I'm saying is thank God it's not at MK Dons and I don't have to travel there again because it's always such a pain to get there from London. But on on another note, that's that's all we have time for today. We're going to be back next week to review the action and bring you the latest news from the women's game, as we always do. Also, make sure to follow us on Twitter at TWFP1 and on Instagram at the Women's Football Podcast. Polly, where can people find you on Twitter? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at uh, PollyStarkey04. Fantastic. Make sure to give her a follow. Please subscribe and leave us a review as well as it massively helps us out. Thank you all and have a very good week.